so good to be at Journey today. How's Journey doing today? Come on, somebody. Come on. So I pray for you a lot, um, whether you're aware of it or not. I mean, you have to put up with Aaron. And so um, just hanging on by a thread. You know, when he came on as a youth pastor here a few years ago, I thought, boy, they're going to need to increase their insurance coverage. You know, uh, you know that's just, just added protection, you know, extra padding, you know. So, oh, it's so good to be at Journey today, and uh, so blessed. The last time I was here, I spoke here last summer, uh, we were all a little more cozy. Uh, I think we're in the lobby space as we are now. Now you got some, some leg room, and you can kind of move around the cabin a little bit, you know. <laughs> it's a little easier right now. This is beautiful, and uh, I'm so grateful to get to see it uh, in its final completion. Now you've been using it for a minute, but it's been phenomenal. And so for those that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh, and and I get the privilege of serving our network of churches. Journey is a part of a network of 290 churches here in the state of Ohio. And uh, I get the privilege of serving that network of churches within the Assemblies of God here in Ohio. And uh, my role is as leader development director and uh, corporate secretary. And so uh, I get to, to help leaders day in and day out. And it's just the, the best job Ever, I also have a unique claim to fame that uh, may be infamous here, um, that I am the person who stole Megan Boyle from you guys. And so, yep, yep, I thrive on your hate, so keep it up, you know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We, uh, we, I was told this week that you may heckle, uh, that there may be objects thrown my way, and so I'm pretty quick on my feet, so uh, I'll dodge and duck and dodge there. So, no, it's so good. I'm grateful to have, and they're getting ready to start kids camp, like, now. And so some of y'all may be going uh, this evening down to Heartland and and, uh, sending a bunch of kids. I don't know if you guys are week one. Oh, week two. So you guys are not doing anything today. But she is, and uh, got, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 860, you know, children and and leaders, we just finished up three weeks of youth camp on Friday, and, and, uh, and that was phenomenal. And uh, something like 2,500 teenagers, I mean, it's crazy how many, we were packed to the gills. So good, so good. Well, I feel like because I'm the I'm, uh, second time around here, I feel like we're family. Is that good? Can we act like that? Okay, good, good. We'll really let my hair down. I'm going to make a confession to you uh, or, or just acknowledge something. Ready? You ready for it? I'm, I'm, I'm middle-aged. Okay, I'm, fun, I'm embracing it, and some of you are like, no, you're not, I really am, I'm, I'm, I'm touching on the door 40 and all that good stuff, and so you start doubling that up in like middle, and you go, oh, well, uh, yep, I'm there, you know, like, yeah, you know, I thought for a while I wasn't, you know, you have that period uh, where you don't accept it, am I right? Yeah, you said that period where you're just not, I'm cool. You know, you think that. You think that you're cool. And then a couple years ago, I worked for, um, uh, I was pastoring a church, and then I moved to, to Columbus to work for this network. And, and so um, one of the things I do is to oversee a college campus, uh, regional campus of Southeastern University. And so I started hanging out with 20-year-olds, and then you're like, man, I am, I'm not cool. Um, <laughs> not at all. Not even a little bit. Like, they're cool, I'm not cool, and here's the great thing, this is what I've kind of come to, because when I was 34, 35, I was like, man, I was cool, and I still kind of want to be. I don't care anymore, right? (laughs) Isn't that the best feeling? We're just like, 
Your wife, my wife's like, you're going to walk out looking like that? And you're like, yup, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't give a rip. I don't care. Not one bit. I mean, it's just crazy the stuff that happens at this stage of life. You know, you just don't, don't care, you know. Um, but I'm there. I'm there. Just a few weeks ago, I was reminded of it. Um, we were Memorial Day. My son, who's junior high, uh, hit me with a water balloon. I was sitting down in my chair, hit me with a water balloon. So I had this moment where I'm going to chase him across the yard. And I knew, I did this calculation very quickly in my head that I've got 25 good yards before I have an asthma attack and pass out. <laughs> so I got to catch him in that space, right? So I got to hoof it. And about 20 yards in, I felt like this hamstring was going to explode. Like I felt like, and then I stepped on something because that's what you do. You get hurt when you do physical activity at this point, right? So like, like two weeks later, I'm having surgery. I just got the boot off and the stitches out. Like I'm telling, it was a whole production, whole production. Everything hurt. Everything. I can't do anything without hurting myself anymore, right? Another fun, fun thing. Went to the uh, eye doctor the other day. I've worn glasses for a while, but most of the time it was just for like computer stuff or whatever. Now I have to have them on because I can't read a flipping thing without having my glasses on, <laughs> right? <laughs> like somebody will ask me what's on the TV, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I can't see it, you know. Like, and so I, my my eye doctor was like, you know, your eyes have really deteriorated since last year. And I'm like. Cool, thanks. I'm like, is that like some kind of degenerative eye disease? And they're like, no, that's just going to happen now. I'm like, that's just what life's going to be. So I don't know if you've ever had this happen. So I'm, I'm piling up, man. I'm just trying to build some relationship here, some commonality. All right? So ever have one of these moments where you walk into like the kitchen cabinet and you forget what you came there to get? Every day, right? Every day, right? Right there. But then, like, or the worst thing is, and this is like a husband thing. I don't know if this is middle-aged, but, like, this is just a. <laughs> There's some, some, the marriage counselors, we need them down the aisle to, you know. Uh, you know, so, so, um, so I don't know if you've ever had this moment, husband, where your wife says, go get that thing. And you get there, and you can't see that thing. But then you do the brave move where you're like 50-50 on whether or not you should say out loud, it's not here. Because there's something down deep inside of you that says, if I say it's not here and I'm wrong, I will never hear the end of it, right? So sweating bullets, like you can feel it, like it's those memes of people sweating, right? <laughs> like it's, it's not here, and it was like right in front of your face. Right? That happens all of the time. Right? Now I've got I've got junior higher, like that's that's my daily life. Dude, it's right there. No, it's not. It's right there. No, I promise it's right there. And then it was right there, right? That that is that is true of so much of what we do. I mean, it's so easy in our lives, it's all of us, all of us live in this space where we miss what's right in front of us. Right? All of us live in this space where we can't quite see clearly enough, and sometimes it's, it's good stuff that's happening that we're missing out on. Right? Sometimes I've done this myself where as a dad, I'll, I'll focus in on all the things that my kids are doing wrong or slightly deviant. Right? And reality is there's way more good than there's bad. 
And so I focus on all the wrong things. I'm missing out, right? I miss all the stuff that's there. Maybe it's this negative behaviors in my life that, that I can't see for whatever reason. And, and everyone around me can see it. Everyone around me can see that habit or that hang up, that thing that I'm doing, that pattern of behavior that's destructive. But for some reason, I just can't see it. And there are, the reality is true that the, even the stuff that we can't quite see clearly affects our life. And it, it, it has an impact on us. And the truth is, is that we, if we'll just take the time to, to adjust our, our sight, we'll capture maybe something that's really important. Because often, often the case is true that God is trying to lay out something inside of us, and in front of us. He's trying to, to, to direct our attention a certain pathway. And if we're paying attention, we won't miss it. And to see this clearly today, I want to go to a passage of Scripture that may be familiar to some of you. It's a story about, about a blind guy in the New Testament. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 um, here in verse 46. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of read this story. We're going to kind of walk through it. And sometimes this, this may be a little different for how, how is normally preached here, but that's okay. I'm a little little different at the end of the day. So Mark chapter 10 verse 46 says, and they came to Jericho and Jesus, he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped and called, said, Call him. And, and they, they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is a, a pretty interesting story, a pretty interesting spot in Jesus' timeline. Jesus has been navigating his journey uh, in ministry for now about three to three and a half years. And uh, going from this city to that city, but this will be the last stop before Jesus goes to Jerusalem to take himself to the cross and ultimately to the resurrection and all the things that will take place. This is just a, a matter of days, about a week ahead of that moment. And so you can imagine, I, if, I, if I survey all of the stories of Jesus, one of the things I never see Jesus doing is, is wasting his time or being frivolous or, or, or squandering a moment, right? He's a good steward of the time that he's there. So there's never a moment when you're like, oh, Jesus is distracted in this passage. Um, that doesn't happen. But right here, it seems like there's, there's this kind of winnowing of time. I mean, all of creation, all of the plans of God, all the purposes of God are culminating into this week of Jesus' life. It's a big deal, right? So there's a sense in which time is being focused and Jesus has kind of got, got his game face on. He's getting ready to, to go into that Passion Week, that last week before his, his death on the cross. And so this was the moment he was created for. This was it. And by this point in Jesus' story, there is a great crowd traveling with him because at this point, Jesus is pretty popular. 
I mean, you can imagine if you feed, you know, 20,000 people, give or take, more people might show up. Okay, uh, You might imagine that, that if you healed the sick or you walked on water or you raised the dead, that might draw a crowd. That might draw some attention. He's famous enough at this point that there are, are major leaders who are paying attention to who he is. Just a few days from now, King Agrippa will call his name and say, hey, about that Jesus guy that I've heard about? Like everybody's heard about Jesus. And so there's this huge crowd clamoring uh, through, Jeru- through Jericho, rather, and, and they're on their way outside of the city. They come to this place, this, these gates, and at the gates of any ancient city, those were a really important location for how the population worked, right? So they, they, this was a place of communication, so this would be where, like, if the Roman Empire was going to make a new law, this is where they tap it up at, and this is where, where business interactions took place. This is where any of the, the chatter. This is the Facebook feed right here on this wall. This is where it all happens, right? This is where the action is. And this is also where, if you were handicapped, you get lined up. In some cases, it would be folks that would be able to manage their way there. In other cases, it would be friends or family members who would take them there or guide them there. And it was a responsibility of Jewish people in the first century to give almsgiving. You see this in the New Testament where where they would do what's called a mitzvot, a good work. And the way that they cared for those on the edges of society was kind of to, to toss some change their way. And they were able to sort of subsist on this kind of income. Uh, but in as much as it's so different in the New Testament world to this today, there's a lot of things that aren't different. The reality is that people like this were often overlooked and marginalized. They were pushed to the edges and the fringes, just like they are now. I, I uh, pastored a church in Aurora, Ohio, which is just southeast of Cleveland. If you've ever heard of Jaga Lake Park uh, back in the day, I lived like right across the street from there. So um, that's where I pastored. A small little community, uh, about 15,000 people, and a and, uh, great little deal. But then we got... Um, invited to come and be on the team at Ohio Ministry Network, and so I moved down to the east side of Columbus, which is not like Aurora. Um, it's the largest city uh, in, in Ohio and one of the largest cities in the country, and so it's huge. It's, it's fast-paced. It's moving. It's always traffic, all this stuff, right? And so one of the things that was shocking to me coming to Columbus was the number of panhandlers at any exit you go to. Okay, if you go to Columbus, um, they're, they're everywhere. In fact, I was just like, oh my goodness gracious. But the cool thing about Columbus panhandlers, and listen, I, it's not because I'm like a small town guy. I lived in you know, Cleveland area. I lived in Cincinnati. I mean, I, I'm used to the city, um, but um, they're just everywhere in Columbus for whatever reason. But the thing about Columbus panhandlers is they're the nicest panhandlers in the world. They will wave at you with their sign, big old smile, like church door greeters. I mean, you know, I'm like, they're just up there. Like, you have to expect them to give them a bulletin. That's what you're expecting as you drive by. I mean, that is, that, but they're everywhere. And I remember just being so shocked when I moved. Goodness gracious, you cannot turn a corner without somebody being there. But before long, what was even more shocking was how much I didn't notice it even more, despite the fact that they were still there. They almost, it was almost like they'd become a fixture of the environment. You got a stop sign, you got a car in front of you, you got a homeless person, you got grass. They're just, you don't even notice it anymore, right? You got a, got a person who doesn't really have an identity. And then 
In this situation, you have a guy named Bartimaeus. And what's kind of interesting about Bartimaeus, this is one of three gospel accounts where, where the writers will talk about what Jesus did here, but only, only one of them mentioned Bartimaeus by name at all. It's just a blind beggar. And even in this one, it's sort of a, not really his name. In Aramaic, bar means son of. So literally in the Greek, it follows it. That son of Timaeus is not even a name. That's not a name. That would be like somebody saying to me, hey, that's Kyle's boy. He's just completely overlooked. Completely marginalized and completely at the fringe of everything. And um, Jesus comes by. Now Jesus has got a reputation, right? And Jesus' reputation is, is that he is a healer. And so Bartimaeus says, hey, this is my shot. Because Bartimaeus knows what it is to see. You notice when, when Jesus asks him, we'll look at that in a moment, what do you want me to do for you? He says, let me recover my sight. means he wasn't born blind. I've known people who have lost their sight over time, like not just like, hey, I've got to get glasses, like actually lost their sight. And, and it, it, it's a huge traumatic event for them because you can imagine what it's like to lose that faculty, that sense, the impact that that has on their life. So he hears that Jesus is coming, and he begins to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting because this is the only time in all the Gospels which recorded that anybody calls Jesus by his first name. More, more, more often than not, it's like rabbi or something to that effect. But he says, Jesus, which means the Lord saves, Son of David, which is, is not just like a, a, you know, kind of a hashtag on the end of it. it. It's actually something really important. It means that Jesus, Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, it's, it, it's, a, it's an Old Testament language for the coming one, the anointed one of God, the one who's going to make everything right. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, everybody tries to shut him down. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, invites him over. And then Jesus does this thing. It's kind of unique. He asks him a question that seems silly. What do you want me to do for you? Right? That, doesn't that seem like a silly question uh, duh Jesus I'm blind I would like to not be blind anymore right but, but here's, here's what's happening is this question wasn't so much for blind Bartimaeus as it was for the people around him now you who are moms in this room have perfected this move okay because it, it was you know the answer so you're, an, you're asking a question you know the answer to which is like super mom move right um but here's the even more better part. My mom used to do this all the time, where she would be talking to someone else, but she wasn't really talking to someone else. She was talking to me, right? And so she's, he's asking a question over here, but over here is his disciples. He's talking to Bartimaeus, but he's really talking to the disciples. And the reason why you know that is because this is not the first time Jesus has asked this question. He actually asked it just a few hours earlier. You can find it in Mark chapter 10. Just few verses earlier in verse 35. It says, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, other places will call these guys the sons of thunder, which is just about the coolest nickname in the world, um, came up to him and said to him, teacher, um, 
we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And anybody who's ever had a toddler in the world knows that you follow that statement up with a question, right? Um, Because you don't just go with, hey, we need you to say yes, but we can't tell you why, right? Um, So Jesus asks the question, check it, what do you want me to do for you? And I said, grant to us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. So Jesus, when you kick this thing up, when you kick, kick, kick this in the high gear and you're throwing over, overthrowing the Romans and you're, you're establishing your kingdom, can, can we ride shotgun? Like, can we be right there? Can we be in the positions of power and the positions of influence? Can we be there? Can we be your guys? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. A little later, he says, the cup, and this is in verse 39, he says, the cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And then, check this out, when the ten heard, so there are twelve disciples, two of them are asking, hey Jesus, can I ride a shotgun? And then the ten other guys that are following Jesus, that are close to Jesus, overhear this conversation, and they, the Bible says, verse 41, they became indignant at James and John. They were ticked off, they were mad, and you know why they were mad? It was not because James and John asked this question, it was because James and John asked the question first. It was not that they said, hey, can I be on your right and can I be on your left? Can I be in the positions of influence and power and opportunity and blessing? No, 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 no. It was because they asked first. They were all jockeying for position. You see this in all the gospel accounts. They're all trying to fight for Jesus' attention. And Jesus says some of the most famous words in all of the New Testament here that will become the backdrop of the story with Bartimaeus. He says, you know that there are those who are considered rulers, people of influence over the Gentiles, and they, those, those folks lord it over them. They, their great ones exercise authority over them. The, the Greek word here is kata exousia. Didn't know you were going to get a little get a language lesson today. Kata exousia. Which means excessive authority over the top. They, 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 they pride themselves on their positions of power and influence and amassing the, their world. The world revolves around them. That's what they've designed it to do. It says, that's what the culture looks like. That's what the world looks like. That's what outsiders look like. But then he says some of those powerful, I think this is one of those powerful phrases in all the Testament, but it shall not be so among you. Shall not be so among you. He says this, he says, but whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the son of man, even the son of David, son of man is a, is a phrase like son of David. It's even me, even the Messiah came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life. It's ransom for many. Hey, hey, friends, you, what you're trying to do is get to the head of the table, and I'm telling you, pick up the towel because you're going to serve at 
the table. You want to be in that position of status where the whole world revolves around you and you're accumulating and you're acquiring and you're making that good, peaceful life that you've always wanted. What I'm telling you is you're going to even take a step lower than, ser- than servant. You're going to go all the way down to slave, to the rung of, bottom rung of society so that everyone can feel what you give them, but you don't get all the attention because the attention goes to the master. And it's that backdrop, it's that moment when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You can imagine all of that conversation spiraling back as Jesus is giving them an opportunity to to live out what he had just said. And they blew it big time. I mean, Bartimaeus is the exact kind of person that Jesus came to serve. And what what did they do? They silenced him. They pushed him to the fringe. They they, they didn't acknowledge who he was. He was at the margins. But let me tell you right now, if you want to know what Jesus cares about, Jesus cares about the people at the margins. Jesus always cares about the people at the edges, people at the sideline, people who can't, can't find their own way out. Jesus cares about those folks. Reality is, is what, what you guys did yesterday and, and, and do often is exactly what Jesus came to do. To find those people, I, I, uh, I have the privilege of, of preaching in a different place almost every week, and so I travel all over Ohio. Here's what I've learned about Northwest Ohio, is that if I didn't have a GPS, I would live in a cornfield, because I could not, for the life of me, there was a turn that I made today that I thought, if my GPS goes out, uh, I may have to figure out how to cook a soybean because I don't know where I am. I think I'm in somebody's driveway. I, I don't know. Like, but but here's, here's what's crazy is I drive all over. Driving even in today was one of those things where you drive past the homes. You drive past the, the different, you know, the different junctures along the way and even driving into the community here just thinking about, man, how many folks are a whole lot like Bartimaeus. They may not be blind, and they may have the physical affirmities, and they, man, they, they are they're on the edges, on the margins, they're at the, the fringe of their life. And, and the culture, the world we live in, the enemy of our soul, has no interest in doing anything more than keep pushing them further and further to the edge. But you know who shouldn't push people further to the edge? Man, the church. We live on the edge. We live at the fringe of society. We live in this place where everyone else has forgotten their name. Everyone else has forgotten their story. Everyone else sees them, it's overlooked. But man, what, 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 what Jesus is trying to show them is, man, if, if you could only see what I see, boy, you'd listen. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus does this totally culturally unacceptable thing. And when society had told him to be quiet, and he should have, by all rights, the culture, he had no position to say anything he said to Jesus. But he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And there are a few little words here that forever have changed my life. It would be easy to look at these as, as sort of mechanical or editorial or just kind of running commentary on, on but they are so much more than that. It's a deeply theological phrase. 
Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And the Bible says this. This is what Mark records. And Jesus stopped. Oh, man, that should, like, fire you up. In fact, I, I grew up in Oklahoma. There's, there's just a, there's a whole bunch of redneck inside of me. Um, I was going to say a little bit, but no. The country runs deep, right, to the bones, right? In Oklahoma, we would say, if that doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Okay. Because here's, here's what's true. Bartimaeus calls from the edges. He calls from his pain. He calls from his difficulty. He calls from his hurt. He calls from his, his desperation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped. Do you realize what Jesus was about to do? The most important thing that ever happened in history. Jesus had the weight of all of creation, all of the world, the purpose of God, the divine plan to redeem every single human who's ever lived upon his shoulder. In that moment, you could think that Jesus was like, I have no time to stop. I have, man, I have no reason. But let, you know, what does Jesus do? He stops. Because the truth of the gospel is that every time anybody calls out to Jesus saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, Jesus will stop. The truth of the gospel here today is this. You might have walked into the room this morning and nobody knows and nobody can see that your heart is broken, your body is hurting, your circumstance is twisted upside down. You may have crippling anxiety. You may cry, have cried yourself to sleep last night. You may not know where your next paycheck is going to come from. You may not know how you're going to solve this situation. Your marriage may have tremendous friction right now to the point that it might break apart. But listen, I can promise you this, is that if you will cry out to Jesus today, Jesus will stop for you. It's a promise. Because Jesus has this ability, even when no one else can see you, Jesus sees you. Even when no one else hears your cries, oh my goodness, Jesus will hear your cry. And what's even better than him just being able to hear it is that he responds to it. The God of the universe, the one who spoke all the things into existence, he, he, he cares for everything. He stops for you because that's what Jesus does and today you may be carrying a burden that is too great to bear too great to bear and you can only imagine the feeling of Bartimaeus in this moment right before he speaks right before he yells out that is such a terrifying moment, isn't it? That moment right before, right before you say, I need help. Right before you say, something's got to change, something's got to give. Right before you say, I'm not okay. My life's broken. And you, you muster up the courage and hope that if I say this out loud, something will happen. Because don't you carry that fear inside of you that says, I could say this out loud, but what if nothing happens? All right? 
Isn't that why we carry pain and hurt? Isn't that why we, we live in brokenness and, and darkness and the habits and the stuff? I mean, we, we do that because we're afraid that if we lift our voice, then everyone around us will go, no, you just need to do better, man. Quit griping, rub some dirt on it, right? Like that's, we're afraid. We're afraid. But let me hear, hear me this morning. You may have walked into this room feeling broken, and you're afraid to say to someone else in this room, you know, I need help. I need Jesus to come and, and minister to me. I need, I need a situation to be healed. I need it to be put back together. I, I need whatever it is. And you may be tempted in this moment to hear this and go, maybe, but then stop short of lifting your voice to Jesus and saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. But what does, what does Jesus say here to Barnabas? Your faith has made you well. That that action of you saying, okay, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, because what he, was, what he was saying, and he maybe didn't even realize it, was I don't think Jesus is that kind of Savior, that he would hear my cry and not do anything about it. That's what faith is, is trusting completely that what Jesus said is true, that who Jesus is is true. And for you today, one of the most important things you will do is exercise that faith, that belief that, that man, I, I can't sit here and believe that if I lift my voice that Jesus will bail on me. So I'm going to have the confidence to believe that what Jesus said he would do and who Jesus said he is is true. So this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to sing a song in just a second. I'll give you the opportunity to respond in one of two ways. Maybe both, or maybe some of the Holy Spirit's doing completely different in your life, and that's okay too. But at least two things I want to surface this morning before we pray. Number one is that ability to see truth is for you and for me, it happens to all of us. The flow of life, the pressures of life, the, the things that got going on, uh, all of, um, for me, I'm, you know, kids sports. I'm, I think I'm in every sport, but badminton with my kids. I mean, it's just everywhere, right? Go all over the universe with our kids. And so it's so busy, right? It's so easy to be captured up in all the stuff that goes on with our lives to the point that we, we end up doing to Bartimaeus what we don't really mean to do, which is to basically make him a non-entity. He's not even a person because we just overlook him. Worse yet, we try to amass all the stuff to us. We try to live that good life. We try to live that best life. We try to, try to have all the, the things going on in our life. And so in that effort, in that effort, sometimes, sometimes we cut someone else short because we are, we're trying to, to make our life. We're trying to pull. How, how do we sit shotgun with you, Jesus? And I would pray that for, for us today, that we capture once again that an ability to see like Jesus sees and hear like Jesus hears so that when we're at work, we're in our neighborhood, we're at the ball game with our kids and we're sitting next to that mom or that dad who's a little rough around the edges. That our, our hearts would be attuned to the Spirit and we'd be able to hear 
cry from their heart, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Remember when my, my oldest son was playing baseball? Back when we were Aurora. There's a couple that we would sit with at the ball game. Just met them because we were on the team together. They were nice enough. We're a middle class suburban community. Similar lives, similar ages, kids. In fact, our kids ended up being in classes together a lot. And I checked in baseball, and if you know my family, you know the Willifords are at the ballpark when we're at the game because we're loud, okay? We, we holler, right? We're nice about it for what it's worth, um, but we holler. So I'm dialed in. I'm just scared about my kid. I remember the moment when the Holy Spirit was like, hey, dumb, dumb, pay attention. They began to expose just that crack, just that little bit. He's a pastor's kid who's far from the Lord and it's a blended family and all these pressures and all this stuff. And Really what it was was Jesus, son of David. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want, want somebody to feel what I feel. You get the opportunity to see like Jesus and hear like Jesus in your neighborhood, in your school, at the gas station. I pray that God helps, helps that awaken in you again. Maybe, maybe you're here today you're, you're more like Bartimaeus than you are to the disciples. And for you, you've carried around whatever it is. It really doesn't matter. Because all you need to do today is exercise that faith to believe that Jesus, Son of David, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, can hear you and he can see you. And it's more than that. He will stop if you cry out. He will stop. So across this room, can we just close our eyes and bow our heads? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to sing this song together. If you need prayer today, I know later on there will be prayer team members. Pastor Aaron, I'm, I'm happy to pray with you. But don't leave today without responding to the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you now. And and we kind of collectively say thank you because you stopped for us. God, all of us could have, we could tell story after story today um, of when you did it for us. <laughs> like when you stepped into that circumstance, when you saved us, when you healed us, when you, you made us whole. God, you restored our, our relationships. You did all this stuff. So God, we first pause and we say thank you for stopping for us. But God, I, I want to say, I want to say, God, and I'm sorry. Seek your forgiveness for the moments in which you've, you've got people around me that are crying out. They're desperate. And instead of making a pathway to you, God, I, I put up roadblocks or I ignore or I marginalize even further. I put people more on the fringe and more on the sideline. God, God, help me, help us to have the eyes to see, the ears to hear when, when, when someone's crying out for, for us to be just that, that agent sent 
by you to, to bring them to the Savior so they walk out changed by Jesus Christ, so they can have an encounter with you. God, I pray for this church. God, to be able to collectively open their eyes to see the, the hurting people that, are, that feel so alone right now, even on this Sunday, on this Sunday morning. We feel so, so anonymous. But they desperately need you. God, help this church to walk out these doors in Fremont and Clyde and the other communities that go around this, this place and be people who see like Jesus sees. But God, I also pray for those that walked in with pretty heavy burdens on their shoulders. They feel like life is crashing in and maybe, maybe any number of things could have occurred that makes them feel that way this morning. But God, I pray that right now, in spite of all the voice in their head, in spite of the, the enemy who's trying to distract them and discourage them today, may they muster up the courage to, to reach out to you today, to, to cry out to you from their hearts, to lift their hearts to you and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because we know that here in this place, you will stop. Like right now, you'll stop. And you'll bring peace and joy and hope. You have the capacity to bring forgiveness. You have the capacity to bring healing and restoration. You, you can step right in. And today can be a day that changes all the other days after it. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would stop in this place today by the power of your spirit and minister to folks, provide life to folks who feel darkness all around them. Lift their heads today towards you today in Jesus' name. Why don't we sing this song together?
sound of my voice that if they are in a place where they are they are desperate they're needing you they're needing your healing they're needing your peace they're needing your rescue they're they're needing you to show up the situation is too big the situation is too difficult it's too dark whatever it may be God that you would give them the courage in that moment to cry out Lord, cry out for rescue. Cry out to the one, the only one, you who can rescue us, who can reach into that darkness, who can push away that pain. Jesus, thank you for meeting us where we're at. Thank you for coming to the gates of our situation, where we are, and showing up. Thank you for who you are, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, on your way out today, make sure you turn in those connection cards. We're going to have some prayer partners. If you want to come and ask God for a request and you want someone to partner with you, we're here to pray with you. But be blessed this week. May you be courageous enough to cry out to God. Have a wonderful week. We love you.